Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Wizard and Bruiser, it's an educational podcast, so get some learning up your ass with Holden the Bruiser and Jake the Wizard. (laughs) Now we can do an episode on... Adventure time. time! Welcome, everybody, to our Adventure Time episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited to do this one. This is such a great topic. There's just so many interesting things about it. And it, I love how much it feeds in. It's like a continuation of our Cartoon Network episode. Absolutely. In a huge way. And it really brought back a lot of memories from that early episode that we did, which I really enjoyed. I think it was one of our best early ones. And uh, this is like almost like a to-be-continued of that, where, where everything moved forward after we essentially left off it feels very weird seeing how like this one producer is at the core of mtv yes Car- uh nickelodeon nicktoon mm-hmm. nickelodeon comma yep. the nicktoons initiative mm-hmm. cartoon cartoons the nicktoons <laughs> initiative sounds like some sort of terrorist yeah before i move before I go any further, I want to say this is actually a Patreon-sponsored episode. What, so, idiot? We'd have done this one for free. We'd have done it for free. But then he doesn't get to dedicate it to his wife if we, if we do it for and free. And he's married? What a <laughs> ding-dong. Robert Kraft, thank you so much for your patronage. Uh, he says, I would like to dedicate it to my wife, Haley, who dropped so much LSD and watched Adventure Time. It was our greatest joy until the show ended. I doubt we will ever have a show that meaningful to us ever again. My website is crotchydonkles.com. Shout out to crotchydonkles.com where I post my art for all to see. No profit to be made. Just want to share my art with the universe. Crotchydonkles.com. Check it out. That's crotchy, not crunchy. Crotch, like your pants, like where the penis lives. Okay, or vagina stays uh so yeah let's talk about it um so pendleton ward is a guy so holden what do you think makes this show special well i think it's that it is an american fantasy animated television series uh uh no it's that's just the definition this is why i think okay one sentence it is the it is a product that is perfectly placed right there for both children and stoners alike to just love the shit out of. And I know adult other adults too, but it hits that sweet spot where both adults and children love it and it actually manages to do it without just being like a nonstop barrage of gross-out humor. Mm-hmm. It definitely has little bits of gross-out humor, but for the most part, it's actually this bright, 
fun world with all these different elements flowing through it. And it definitely is this feels also like this indie hipster thing as well, right? It's like the culmination of all these great artists that are sort of on the underground a little bit. But yeah, it, uh, long story short, I think it's just the perfect mwah, middle point for both children and stoner adults to come to at once, and that is what makes a successful cartoon. Well, what is a stoner if not someone who has been chemically altered to become as receptive as a child? Ah, yes. I definitely wear a diaper when I smoke weed. <laughs> uh, but I guess that's for other reasons, huh? Uh, sexual, obviously. Yeah, sexual, obviously. Uh, I honestly, what made Adventure Time feel so powerful was it felt like the first cartoon that was made for my generation. Yes. Uh, we're both in our 30s. We both grew up with like this hodgepodge of influences from everything from comic books to fantasy novels to anime to uh, the internet. Uh, it Honestly, it almost has the same progression as a webcomic, which yeah. is such an outdated well, art makes, form. That makes so much about. sense, though, because, I mean, most of, we'll get into it, but mo most of the storyboarders he pulled from were these underground webcomic dudes right. and, and ladies. It has this, and every webcomic of the early 2000s had this weird thing where it was like a wacky premise and then yeah. a bunch of lol random gags. And then over time, all of a sudden, like, Drama starts getting introduced and lore starts to build. And all of a sudden, what used to be like, I don't know, a, a, a cartoon called like uh, Slappy the, the IT guy ends up being a thousand chapters long and they're fighting Satan for the soul of Jesus. You know, like everything finds a way of becoming more and more epic and involved. The show almost follows that same arc. And it's a mode of storytelling that is now like pretty common. It, it kind of birthed its own generation of creators, uh, the CalArts kind of style. And it all kind of follows back to this one moment where this one company just like believed in this creative energy, did not even understand why, but managed to convince enough suits to take a risk on it and well, let it yeah. flourish. And we'll definitely talk about how difficult it was to actually get this to be a show, which makes a lot of sense. I was reading all of that pitch process stuff. I was like, yep, sounds about right. <laughs> I should say really quick, I feel like we're terrible at giving like the summary of what it is, right? Before we go into it, we're always just like, this thing rules, but we don't like say what it is. Who's, who? I of all the episodes we've ever done, I honestly... It's going to be very weird imagining someone that's like, Adventure Teamy? What the fuck is this? <laughs> Never heard of it. I know, but I'd be remiss. So like I said, American fantasy animated television series about a boy named Finn and his best friend and adoptive brother, a dog named Jake, who live in the post-apocalyptic land of Ooh and go on many wild adventures. And it was created by Pendleton Ward for Cartoon Network. It ran from 2010 to 2018. Let's talk a little gush first, shall we? Would you like to make a little gush, gush happen? I, not when you phrase them. <laughs> I would like to just praise. Let me, just let me take my shirt off, okay? And let me put these gloves on and just let me gush a little bit. That's mm. all I'm saying. Um, so for me personally, I didn't really give – I feel like I, ha I really wasn't watching a lot of cartoons at the time. Uh, I remember – I have a distinct memory of being at my crappy day job at work and looking through Reddit. And I think somebody posted – that episode, the Remember Me episode. Remember and You. Remember You? Is it Remember You? I thought it was Remember Me. No, Remember Me is the song from I rem Coco. I Remember You. Yeah, Remember Me <laughs> is the song from Coco. It also makes Also me makes you cry. Yeah, so I put I Remember You, and they were like, this is like this amazing thing where they're, you know, they, they essentially explain the meaning behind it. It's this beautiful episode, and it totally made me well up at work. And guess what? Re without I, any con sense yeah, of context. Without, just the just the way they invoked the kind of sense of loss when you see a, a relative like decline. Yeah, it, it worked on without knowing really anything about the lore of the show, without knowing about 
it works so well in 11 minutes even mm-hmm. if you don't aren't super familiar with the characters in the world that is a task okay that's like some up shit right and even the other day i put on i remember you and i fucking cried it's a beautiful episode and i think that's what you know you say what makes ask what makes adventure time successful i say that uh, uh you know the whole in between you know perfect for kids and for stoners but there is an emotional core to this show that is magical and that you don't get a lot you know you get it sometimes like with his big um inspiration the simpsons for sure you know you get it you get it with certain shows they they can reach an emotional point but uh Adventure Time does it and does it in a way that's really special and really unique, you know? And I think it's just because the whole world's so wild and yet they can make you, you know, yet they can convey the emotional impact of, yeah, watching like a relative or somebody, watching someone close to you go through something. And I haven't even dealt with that before, by the way. You have to understand that, like, uh, Like, the the drama is between Marceline, the hipster vampire girl, yeah. and the Ice King, the who Ice is King. voiced by Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob, yes. who up until this point has just been a comical oaf in a diaper, yeah, basically. I guess, I guess I talked about not summarizing, and then I'm not summarizing. I remember you as essentially this Ice King. He just wants to like get laid, essentially. He just wants to grow. Well, he really just wants company. He's very lonely, and that's the whole thing with him. He's like this evil Ice King, but he's really actually a vulnerable, lonely, misunderstood person. Uh, and he goes to the vampire lady's house to get her to make a song with him so that he can like get the love of one of the princesses. And he starts singing about one of the princesses and he also pulls, he wrote lyrics all over this book, right? So he, he, he's pulls those out and then she essentially, it's like, it almost feels like a fever dream. The, yeah. pa- the pacing of the episode just feels very like it's, uh, it's un- unstable and like odd and like, Everything's just kind of sort of coming together. But when they go into the song and she's like, look, you don't get it. And she starts singing the song that tells the story of how she knew him before he lost his mind. And like, it's so touching and it's so sad. And it's also, it's not introducing it because they've introduced it well, well before this point. But it's referring to this whole crazy, insane, like the fact that they live in a post-apocalypse and that you know that you know whatever like and the mushroom war and there was like 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 anime i think that's an influence from anime as well just that that you know they were hit with nukes and now they live in this like wild crazy adventure world but before that it was like a normal world and they were all it's all the devastation that brought them to the land of ooh created that place so it's, it's so your so your gush happens like during a very important emotional turn in the series yeah I was and then down. I went back, and then I was like, I need to actually way check this out. Also, Tyler, the creator, mentions it in, like, a rap <laughs> song, and I was like, that's weird. And oh, it's then, an open mic ego. Fate, like, really loves the yeah, show, Yeah, yeah. And, and so I went back, and I I uh, just sat down. I think I was at my now wife's apartment back when we didn't live together, and I just, like, banged through a ton of episodes and got, got really into it and just absolutely have utmost respect for the show. It's beautifully done. So I was down with, like, from – Day one, I was actually like, you know, before I realized who he was, I was a fan of Pendleton's uh, comics online. He would like submit to anthologies. He was just a guy in the indie web comic space. And when the uh, pilot first like leaked onto the Internet, it blew my mind. It was the exact kind of humor that I absolutely loved, where it was crammed with like uh, uh, not like wink, wink references, but homages to all sorts of things. This was back when having like a random 
vision where Abraham Lincoln gives you wisdom on Mars was like clever and not just like monkey banana refrigerator shit. Right, right, right. So right. Uh, the episode that I think is a really good starting point is uh, the Enchiridion, which is uh, from the first season. Uh, I think it's episode five, even, but it was the uh, first one that the, t- the collected team produced together. And it is just from second one, a nonstop adventure trope comedy slam dance it yeah. is just goes joke joke fight funny thing yeah um and like the energy is so infectious the art style is so beautiful and nothing else looked like it uh there's like a muscle uh minotaur a creepy guy like people get kicked in the nards yeah i didn't even mention the f- how how full the world feels from the second from episode yeah. one this world just feels so imagined and so incredibly there. Like, and there's, and by the way, and it is a world jam packed with spectacle, things to look at, characters to look at. You look at just like the um, uh, Rainicorn, you know, and all that kind of, and you're just like, man, you just look at that. You're like, I know what that is. And that's so clever, you know, like all, all that good stuff. I'm just saying you have to watch the scene where uh, Finn enters an enchanted forest sees a bunch of gnomes uh, kind of flailing in a lava pit. He rescues them, and they immediately start killing old women. <laughs> and, it, and and the uh, the other thing that- I swear it's funnier than that. And you're sp- no, no, that was great. I, the, the other thing that you bring up with that, too, though, is that it does have this D&D core, this Dungeons and Dragons vibe running uh, through throughout the whole thing. And that was like, and that was happening just before D&D really became super cool. You're absolutely- like they were right on the tip of the iceberg with that, uh, with that idea, you know? And then of course now, like everybody plays D&D, like D&D is respected as this fun, cool activity to do. And people even pay it's to watch It's a form it. of entertainment. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And they were really doing it right on the cusp of that. So how did this boy, and his yellow dog, who then became a blue alien, but that's not till several years later, uh, and his white weird bear cub hat, and his blue shirt, and his various swords, uh, how did they come to be? Well, Jake, the man made it, and then it became a thing. Thank you for listening to Wizard <laughs> of the Bruce. <laughs> so, Pendleton Ward, let's talk about Hey, what happened to it? a podcast, man? Like, <laughs> I think they just gave up at minute 13. They literally, like, picked up a phone and, like... <laughs> The rest of the episode, you can just hear our phones scrolling as we're just checking fucking Facebook. <laughs> okay, so Pendleton Ward, let's talk about him. His mother was an artist who worked with animators, so he already had a bit of a leg in the door. In first grade, he drew flip books and worked with his best friend Alec the Log Dog Coats on short comic books. Also, Log Dog, definitely, uh, I think, an influence on one of our main characters. Uh, Ward said about his time in high school, and his mentor in high school was Cornelius Cole the Third. Oh, said, okay, okay. Well, first of all, uh, Cornelius Cole the Third, animation legend, like like weird, one of those unsung heroes. It was really interesting trying to find his work and the, the little bit of it that I could find. I was like, this is awesome. Uh, I'm gonna acknowledge this for like exactly four listeners who are exactly my age and older. If you want to know what Cornelius Cole the Third, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he he was the one responsible for the fucking. The Greedy the in the Raggedy Ann and Andy movie, which is one of the most psychotic, nightmare-inducing pieces of animation to have ever been like made ostensibly for children. You speak of my language. It is the purest what-the-fuck nightmare fuel in what should be a cute kids movie, but it's just this morphous pile of caramel that is like... Like, it's fucking <laughs> terrifying. 
And that's Pendleton Ward's mentor was the one who created that. Dude, hell yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, it's a it's psychotic. Well, he said, uh, Cornelius Cold the Third was my mentor. I went to a summer camp at Cal Arts, the California State Summer School for the Arts, and I was lucky enough to get into that. Corny was there, and I was able to meet him when I was going to high school. By the way, if you want to be an animator, at least in the U.S., and working like movies and TV, I don't know, maybe go to Cal Arts. I don't know. I might be crazy. But uh, just because like, that's where also the Pixar people went doesn't it mean. It just seems like go to CalArts is but what you should he was, do. So he was, I feel I feel a lot of kinship with Pendleton Ward. He was a shy kid, a kind of chubby kid. He was obsessed with cartoons and animation, went to fucking nerd summer camp. Uh, his mom was artsy-fartsy and supported him. There was actually like an anecdote where... Uh, because she was into the alternative scene in the on the West Coast, she knew Matt Groening and actually like mi- like got Pendleton to visit Matt Groening's house, and they got to like talk. Even though you know it was just you know that standard thing where like your parents know somebody famous or like of value, and uh-huh. they're just like, "Hello there, little kid. <laughs> you keep at it." Like it wasn't like a profound meeting of the minds, but he got to meet Matt Groening. So. Uh, it was always part of the plan that he was going to pursue this as his life's work. Uh, and so he went to uh, CalArts uh, eventually where he befriended J.G. Quintel, who would go on to uh, – what did he create the regular show? He created regular show. Um, he also worked on the Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack, which yes, was this – Yes, which will be this. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. In, in, our, in our analogy, I believe this is the Mighty Mouse yeah, reboot. Yeah, it is the Mighty Mouse reboot of the story. It definitely yeah. is. There always seems to be that one show that no one really remembers – that where everybody, it sort of is like the big bang. True heads remember Flatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true heads. <laughs> Alex Hirsch uh, also is who we met there, who would go on to create Gravity Falls, right? Create Gravity Amazing. Falls. Amazing. Um, one of the best shows of all time. Right. We're going to do an episode on it, yes. and I'm going to probably uh, smear myself in gold dust <laughs> and, like, ascend <laughs> halfway through the episode. Uh, he ends up publishing a webcomic that he has since taken down because he considered it to be awful called Bueno the Bear in 2002, which led to a student film called Barista that starred Bueno. I You can uh, watch it. Yes, I did watch it. I highly recommend you watch it. It's, uh, it's the, on YouTube. It's not the really most compelling funny. piece of animation I've ever no, no, seen. No, no, no. The animation is very basic and simple, but the vibe is there that I think he really brought to – adventure time and going forward which is like you have this like cartoony aspect this cartoonish bear character but you also have this weird real drama <laughs> happening and this like re- very human down-to-earth conversation happening and it's like it, it it reads you know or they sound like they're you know in a in a scene in a play in a very like serious play which is weird be- and uh, uh pendleton talks about this that like his uh his inspirations in Cal Arts was his fellow students. Like everyone was mm-hmm. bouncing off each yeah. other and kind of developing their own voices together, which mm-hmm. is kind of why they've since spun off and created kind of spiritually this shared universe together. Yeah. Uh, J.G. Quintel's student films is similar to Barista. It's always like a weird mix of like high drama and and goofy mm-hmm. transactional uh, scenes between two people. It, it, uh, it in the AMPM and like Lollyland or two J.G. Quintel. Shorts that feel very similar to barista. I just re- made that connection. So, it is, by the way, it is it is Bueno the Bear getting coffee from a barista who is very French. 
and like a dark, a dark French woman. You know what I mean? And and he asked her to sit down with him, and he's like, "I want to be with you. I miss you, or whatever." And she's just like, "My favorite is the ending where she's like, I can't. I'm an American. My heart belongs to the president of the United <laughs> States, whoever he may be." <laughs> so good. Uh, so this actually convinces Vice President Eric Homan. Well, there's uh, so the the short gets accepted into a prestigious uh, film festival called the Producers Show which is literally kind of like the talent showcase for showbiz wonks. And Eric Holman is the one that kind of fixates on Pendleton and Barista. Eric Holman is the guy who is vouching for Ward. He is the man in the corner. Without him, Adventure Time would not happen. And he's working for uh, Frederator Studios. Let's talk a little bit about Frederator. Now, did we talk much about Frederator on the card? We talked about it. It's been so long, Jake. I can't, I'm trying to... I, I see these names, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure we covered this, but... We covered uh, Fred Seibert. I think we called him Seibert in our first episode, but oh, I... Seibert? It is Seibert. Yes. Uh, well, uh, all right, cool. Well, we'll get into it. Frederator Studios. It's an American animation studio for TV that focuses on artists who write their own stories, series, and movies with the slogan, Original Cartoons Since 1998. It was founded by Fred Seibert, who at one point was the president of Hanna-Barbera Cartoons, and he essentially like made Hanna-Barbera kind of cool. Like Hanna-Barbera was this factory style well, churning okay. out of, of the same uh, cartoon concepts over and over Hold again. Hold it, time me. I'm going I'm gi- to give you Fred Seibert in a nutshell in one minute. Okay. All right. Fred Seibert was uh, just a normal marketing guy in New York City, and he ended up working for Viacom and MTV Networks. He was basically responsible for creating the MTV corporate identity. You know, I want my MTV. Uh, He then got tasked with getting uh, Nickelodeon, MTV's child channel spinoff, off the ground. And he completely transformed it from a shitty PBS spinoff to Nick, 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 Nick. He then wanted to make original programming for Nickelodeon and thus greenlit all the Nicktoons. And uh, it was a massive success. But then he got depressed and bored and divorced and was about to just drink himself to death. And he got a call being like, hey, Hanna-Barbera is falling apart. You're a cartoon guy. Why don't you save Hanna-Barbera? He did. He decided to just uh, hire all the shitty, like, underworked animators to actually make their own shows instead of bad McGill Gorilla knockoffs. And uh, (laughs) those became cartoon cartoons. And the entire time, it's based on just green lighting shorts. Just just give people a chance to, to- Make their own stuff. Make their own stuff. And then whatever rises to the top, he'll sell the networks as shows. That was beautiful. He said, I've reinvigorated the who comes into the studio equation. Now talented people wanted to show up. Some 5,000 people pitched us cartoons from all over the world. We got into business with Ralph Bakshi, with Bruno Bazzetto. We got into business with a broad range of people who never would have given Hanna-Barbera a passing chance. We worked with people who were 70 years old, who were 20 years old. We turned it on its head. The perception the people in the community had of us. Uh, but and then uh, there's a big merger. They overhaul the company, and Fred Siebert says, fuck it. I'm Cyber. Cyber, whatever. It's sad. It's just an entertainment podcast where we're <laughs> supposed to get our facts and pronunciations <laughs> right, Jake. I mean, come on. Uh, Ward said... My first job out of school was the Adventure Time pilot. I was lucky enough to have my first lead on a job at a company called Frederator. They were accepting pitches for a shorts program. They were doing seven-minute long shorts, and they were taking pitches from anyone, and you didn't have to have any representation, which was great for me. I just followed up in it. I pitched my storyboard for Adventure Time that I had boarded straight ahead. I didn't really know what a storyboard needed. But I did my best and threw together a comic script. Luckily, they liked it. And so it ended up being on Frederator's random exclamation point, cartoons, which was kind of like, what a cartoon from 
Cartoon Network. Um, it was Cartoon I'm sorry. There's, and, some, there's a, lot of, a lot of conglomerates we're talking about here. So Eric is pushing for Pendleton, and uh, Pendleton Ward shows up to pitch, just to pitch the short to uh, Frederator, and uh, he pulls a fucking Stephen Hillenberg. The first thing he does before he- He burged him. He gave him a burgy. What? He gave him a burg. I guess. <laughs> I want to support you. I understand, but <laughs> God, you got to give me more. He he'll he'll lead him. Uh, <laughs> Pendleton walks in the door before he even shows a shred of artwork. He starts playing a guitar and sings what we now know as the Adventure Time theme song. Adventure Time, because yes, by the way, the Adventure Time theme song that is actually Pendleton Ward singing the song that you hear when the show begins. Even more amazing uh, about the opening theme song is. Uh, Mary, I don't know if you can isolate this. I'll I'll help. I'll try and find the exact time code. But there's a moment in the opening that you can actually hear like random keyboard types. So in the it background. is actually when Finn is walking through the ice mountains. Go to very distant land. I've watched the show a million times and never noticed it until this until we had to do this research. Yeah, yeah. It's it's producer Derek Dryman, who is the executive producer of Adventure Time, was typing while Jake is walking through the Ice Kingdom. Uh, essentially, by the way, this happened because they took like essentially a demo recording of his doing the opening theme. Yeah, scratch, uh, scratch track. Scratch track. We, I love this because we, this happened, this has happened <laughs> like time. M- multiple times in, in retelling of these of these different stories. Oh, weird. The honesty and sincerity of it happening in the moment is better than an overproduced slick product? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Ward said, I recorded the lyrics for the opening title in the animatics room where we have this little crummy microphone just so that we could add it to the titles and submit it to the network. Later, we tried re-recording it, and I didn't like it. I only liked the temp one, and that is why you get these background noises. Um, but that's something he liked, and we'll talk more about the music later, but that's something that he actually enjoyed that his composers would have weird like creaking boards or something like that in the background he would like to leave those things in he liked the rawness which is such like an indie thing right like such a especially around that that time of the episodes coming out so it should be said that fred seibert the guy that we all know is like the fucking svengali of tv animation did not get adventure time yes he was not on board and it was eric holman that had to just like keep prodding and being like you know, we've watched like a million pitches and this was the only one you laughed at, right? Like, you know, Fred Seibert would be like, well, you know, we're making children's cartoons. We're not making art films. And it had to be Eric to be like, well, we're going to make this one. Like yeah. it was. But I- maybe this is actually the thing that children would really like because it would be completely different from everything else. I completely get that. And uh, uh, it he- eventually boiled down to uh, this is a quote. My point of view was, well, you know, maybe everybody's right. Maybe it's good. But. You know, we're making 39 of these things, so who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But that's the beauty of this process Mm -hmm. is we're going to say yes to a lot of stuff and really let us a lot of stuff out there. And that's when these types of shows get to sneak past the goalie and fucking get in. And it's there's so much more exciting and well, interesting. The, well, we're going to get to how yeah. the goalie was fucking pissed off and not ready to let it go. That's the thing, because Ward created actually two shorts, by the way, The Bravest Warriors and Adventure Time. Uh, Adventure Time, they were both seven minutes. He did them almost completely by himself. And he finished them in 06 with the first broadcast happening in on Nicktoons in January of 07. And you know what? It goes Viral because now we're 2007. When was YouTube? When did YouTube start being big? This is how old this is. Uh, this was a hit uh, less so on YouTube, and the first time it leaked, it was a big hit on Google Video. Whoa! Yeah, weird. remember Google Video? What? 
That's so weird. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't remember Google oh, Video. Oh, Google Video was great. It was fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, it gets uh, over a million views in November of 2007. It wasn't supposed to be released online. Uh, they just needed a link to send to judges for the Annie Animation Awards because uh, it was nominated. And it got out. And then it, it got out. And so that's how Ward has get, gotten the ability to pitch to Nickelodeon. And Nickelodeon says... No! <laughs> We don't like it. <laughs> so uh, that's when Frederator Studios takes it to Cartoon well, Network. Yeah, Nickelodeon had the rights the... for two whole years because uh, the Random Cartoons yes. show was made was, for Nickelodeon. It was after the rights went up, for like after they no longer had control over it, which is why it took so long. I mean, the pitch process, because if this is a show that's debuting in 2010, they're pitching it back in 07. Can I hit you with another Cybert quote? Hit me with your best shot. Over the next couple of years, as we were trying to persuade first Nickelodeon and then eventually Cartoon Network, the short would get taken down. And then somebody else would bootleg it and put it back up. And every time, I would have to repitch it. Another few hundred thousand more views had been added. Finally, I went to Cartoon Network and just said, look, ask your teenage kids. One of them has seen this, and if they haven't, I'll stop bothering you. <laughs> and sure enough, one of them had. But unfortunately, Cartoon Network is still like, yeah, sure, they saw it, but maybe you're just like a one-hit wonder. Maybe you're just like the O'Neaters. Well, at Cartoon Network, they had undergone at this exact second, at this time and place, a weird shift where uh, same thing was happening at Nickelodeon. The Nicktoon, the prestige cartoon, had kind of dropped off. Like, you know, the first generation had come and gone. The creators had moved on. And, uh, you know, what came to replace them wasn't as exciting, wasn't, a, wasn't bringing in the Buku merchandising bucks that, you know, uh, Angry Beavers wasn't the juggernaut that Rugrats was. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so it yeah. got so bad that Cartoon Network was actively producing live-action shows because uh, Nickelodeon was uh, yeah. doing well and Disney was doing well with all these, like, kid-based sitcoms. So, like, the literal channel for cartoons was airing stuff like Level Up, The Video Game High School, or just, like, The Crazy Brain of Derek Magoo. I don't actually they went, remember. They went full history channel. Yeah. <laughs> They just abandoned what they were about. And it wasn't, again, luck of the draw. Uh, there was a turnover in leadership at Cartoon Network. The former president, Stuart Snyder, had gone on. And then uh, Scorcher. Some, no, Sorcher. Jack Scorcher. Rob Sorcher took over at Cartoon yes, Network. Rob Sorcher. And he was the he one. Was, yeah, he went to bat for Cartoon Network. Um, uh, he felt that it was something, quote, that really felt indie, comic booky, and new, which is per which is exactly the description. Ward said about this time, I feel like Adventure Time was a hard sell in the beginning for a network to pick it up. The show didn't have a hook. It was just two friends that got along perfectly fine, and they live in a fantasy world together. It didn't really have anything that you would want to invest millions of dollars into. Luckily- Just imagine showing that initial short to a bunch of suits and them just being like, why is the dog so stretchy? And dude- Oh, it's a shape-shifting dog. What do you mean it's a shape-shifting dog? It, it's- Wait, is the princess made of bubblegum? What the fuck is happening? So I haven't done this like a lot, but I've recently been doing this, and I've definitely done it plenty of times before- it is so hard to have, like, to pitch your con – like, pitching your concept to a studio. Should have started with the song. Yeah, that's the thing, right? And visuals – I know you have to bring in visuals and stuff like that. It's so funny. But um, pitching to a studio is such a tricky thing because what you have to do is you have to distill your really creative, wild concept down to something that they can hang their hat on. And they have – they need it to be a few different things, too. They also need it to – they need to, like – it's almost like when you go on a date and, and someone's like, so what's your three-year plan? 
Mm-hmm. Like you have to have you have to present Wait, to them. Do people do that on dates? No, but you know what I mean. Like people want to know what your. That's you're... like a job interview thing. <laughs> if I was on well, a date and someone asked what your three year plan was, I'd be like, I don't know, skateboarding and screwing the man. <laughs> I mean, it happens. Skateboarding, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> to prove to this random serious lady that I'm a free spirit. <laughs> Look, it just you know what I mean. It's like it's it's you have to present. I'm to a them Pisces. Something. I love kickflips, and we ain't gonna fuck you, weird serious lady. It's like you have to present to them something that is not only going to bring them into the world immediately, but also say to them, oh, and also this will get, be able to go on for at least you know five seasons or whatever mm. for at least, for a hundred episodes, right? We oh we can see that, but sometimes certain ideas just are not palatable in that way and it's very frustrating because it 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 i think keeps it gatekeeps a lot of really new and interesting concepts from getting through the door like this one uh because the pitch system is so specific to a certain qual- like quality of product and so it's impossible to be like i have an idea about like i don't know what you know something insane like a blob that sings or whatever you know what i mean that was actually several episodes of adventure yeah <laughs> And, you know, if, if it doesn't fit the mold of what pitches need to be, what people write books about, then you're just fucked. And there's not really anything you can do unless you're already known in the business. If you're a known quantity, then it's different. So Ward must have had a hell of a time. He said, luckily, Fred was with me, and he just pitched it really hard to Cartoon Network and took a chance on it. And it's great that Rob Sorcher went to bat for him. They asked for a sample s- script. Federator convinces Ward to do a rough storyboard instead. Uh, which makes a lot of sense because, again, we're talking about a lot of visual people trying to make a show. They're really not they're, – they're writers, but they're writers that rely on visuals, that, that write in a visual way. In this a visual is manner. unprecedented. Yeah. Now, this is my question for you, Jake, because this is a parallel situation. While this stuff's going on, they're making Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. Should we talk about that now and oh, then come back to the pitch? Uh, or what do you want to do? Just while the series was in limbo, Pendleton and a lot of his CalArts cohorts that we talked about got hired to do stuff on Misadventures of Flapjack. And like Ralph Bakshi Mighty Mouse was this insane incubator for new talent that were given a way more slack than like was possible at the time. It really is just this standout piece of work, incredible animation, incredible gags. Uh, Brian Doyle Murphy as Captain Knuckles, one of the best <laughs> voice acting performances ever. Uh, but- also, and the back she is Thurup Van Orman. And this guy seems very interesting. Uh, the whole show is around a naive young boy who is raised by a whale named Bubby and is mentored by a salty sea pirate called Captain Knuckles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and together, the trio spend their days in Stormalong Harbor, where most of the show takes place whilst on the search for the elusive Candy Island. This is because as a child, Van Orman, while living in Panama City, Florida, quote, used to fantasize about living near the dock and having adventures all the time. He even tried to, like, just be a dude like living on the land. Essentially he went out and tried to just be like, a. uh, he, he essentially put himself in like very mortal danger trying to be an adventurer and ended up having to like come back home with his tail between his legs. I hope Sunday we'll be able to do a full episode on it. Cause it's a really wonderful show. It was. And, and the main important thing about this show when it comes to adventure time is that it really taught Ward. This is like a perfect opportunity for him. He's in the middle of pitching a show but he doesn't really know what it's like to like truly work on a TV show 
to this caliber, right? And so at Misadventures of Flapjack, they he learns his whole approach for Adventure Chime from uh, Thurip Van Orman and the storyboarders there. And that is because they did something very different. What they did was essentially... Once an outline was created, the storyboard artists were given total freedom to both write and draw the episode kind of at the same time. So, like, you're storyboarding. You're not, like, getting a script and, and, and animating it and storyboarding it. You, the storyboarder, are the creator of the content of the writing as well. And uh, this led to a much more visual We, we talked process. about this tension in the Ren and Stimpy episode where <laughs> it all comes back that, uh, you know, these writers were brought on. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Chuck Lorre uh, did not like working with animators because he was a scriptwriter and he wanted just these things that he wrote on the paper to appear while the animators wanted to, uh, you know, actually draw what was funny and draw what was interesting and not just just rotely like put down what was on the page. And nowadays on like shows like uh, Big City Greens and basically every prestige cable animated series, this is how it's done now. Uh, because mm-hmm. Flapjack and uh, Adventure Time kind of pushed it forward. Uh, so the series oh, gets picked up. Yeah, yeah. So. And uh, Pendleton Ward has put together this amazing mix of his CalArts buddies, the people that helped him work on the short. And I will say, uh, well, and, and really quick about the pitch, though. Uh, he pulls in his college buddies, Patrick McHale and Adam Mudo, to create the storyboard. So he did get help. I, I feel like I always don't want to uh, – when we do these episodes and it's one guy that created it, no, I feel I'm, like these yeah. other people get, like, washed to the wayside. So they actually did help him sell the show. They uh, created a seven-minute short, I believe in just storyboards. Their first sub- submission was an episode with Finn and Princess Bubblegum going on a spaghetti supper date, which was totally rejected. And then they come back, and the second storyboard was for what would be the first episode to go into production called the Enchiridion. Enchiridion, which is uh, an amazing episode. Mm -hmm. So uh, Pendleton Ward has assembled a murderer's row of both uh, his friends and animation like veterans who help guide the production process and kind of help this like very fresh, energized talent pool kind of solidify their work into something that is producible. And I think among them is uh, Mm -hmm. Ken Osborne, who is Mm -hmm. a writer. Uh, who eventually becomes the head writer of the series, responsible for a ton of classic episodes. Thurup Van Orman was also hired uh, to guide Ward and his staff for the first two seasons. Patrick McHale, who we talked about, went on to make yeah, yeah. Uh, Over the Garden Wall. Uh, Nick Jennings it was the art director for the first two seasons, uh, and he was one of the most experienced people on the crew. He had worked on several series. Adam Muto, again, his friend, uh, who ended up taking over the show once Pendleton Ward left. And... Uh, this is an important guy. Uh, Daniel James Bandit, Ghost Shrimp, is the is his artistic yes. name. And his what name is uh, Ghost Shrimp as background artist. And what he did was incredible because I don't know. Like, it's kind of hard to, to to articulate this, but Pendleton Ward isn't a great artist. Mm. Uh, in the initial in the uh, random cartoon short, the backgrounds are very plain. The colors are very flat, and Ghost Shrimp all of a sudden just adds this entire layer to the world building of ooh where ward literally asked him to make it look like it was placed in a ghost shrimp world <laughs> and so like uh where uh, pendleton ward's land of ooh was like a lot of flat pe- uh, plains and spiky you know just zigzag mountains uh ghost shrimps ooh has like weird skeletons in the background like every single piece of background art tells a story and it's because of these yes. little clues and and extra bits that he was adding to the backgrounds that the the idea that this was a post-apocalyptic world like began to creep in. Yeah, this was a, an organic 
happening. This was definitely not from the very beginning the idea that they were thinking that this was a post-apocalyptic world. But I'm so glad it happened that way, and it was a very it just happened very surely and slowly. Also, Cartoon Network, though they had approved the first season, they're still really skeptical. And that's nobody why, understands why this works. They just yeah. look at the views on YouTube and they're like, I guess people like this. Yeah, yeah. And but they don't know. So they're not completely convinced fully, and they end up hiring on a bunch of SpongeBob veterans to help out. Derek Dryman, who we mentioned before, Meriwether Williams, and Nick Jennings all were there to oversee production and make sure the whole thing wasn't some kind of a horrid shit show. And also, what do you have? Uh, Phil Rinda. Did you mention Phil Rinda? Yet? I did not. Was the lead character designer on the show for the first two seasons. Uh, he previously did work on Venture Brothers, among other shows, and he worked with Mikhail to write and draw out artistic guidelines for the show to have consistency. So it was really those two that sat down in terms of the artistic direction, nailing that down. Again, not Ward, right? Like, Ward is there coming up with so much of it, but he, you know, it's kind of like a great director of a film. I think the most important thing from what I've heard about directing a movie isn't the actual process of directing. It's actually your ability to bring the perfect crew of people together that all work together the best. And you're just there to facilitate those people and make sure that that, that all works out well. And I think that's what's happening here. He also, though, pulls in way younger, way much less experienced folks to storyboard, mostly via the internet uh, from indie indie comics yeah uh two incredible hires that drastically shifted the entire tone of the series rebecca sugar who uh began boarding alongside adam muto she was just supposed to do cleanup she was initially hired just to like clean up the sketches that other people did on their storyboards and within a couple of months became a story lead she ends up uh writing a ton of music all the marceline songs that we know you know uh I'm just your problem. Uh-huh. And uh, as this like young, talented, uh, and openly bisexual woman, it's kind of like her influence that uh, is the one that looks at the dynamic between Marceline and Princess Bubblegum that Pendleton Ward in interviews was like, yeah, yeah, it's like a, uh, it's like an Archie thing. Like, you know, Betty Veronica, they're both like competing for him and they're like friendly rivals. And it's like that level of like new blood that Rebecca Sugar brings in that she's just like, no, these are two awesome ladies. They should, they're definitely dating each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and we didn't even touch on the fact her, that... Uh, her partner, Ian Jones Quarterly, also comes in. He's a brilliant cartoonist. He ends up making OKKO, OK which I think is still on the air. Mm. He brings in another... Uh, this is a cartoonist. I was following her live journal back when I was in high school. <laughs> uh, Natasha Allegri, who uh, is brought in as a character design for the series... She just draws up like the the Fiona and Cake gender swaps, yeah, which is such an internet thing. So I was about to say, like, one thing we didn't really touch touch upon is, and I think it's done in a really positive, great way, is the progressive attitudes that happen in the show very subtly and in a great, in a really interesting way. And that's things you're touching on right now with these these people because that's what these creators were doing online. Yeah, they just did what they were like. This works. I like people love it. I love it. Why can't we do it on TV? So what you're describing right now, I think, is something people need to hear, which is let's mix the veterans Mm -hmm. with the up-and-comers so that they make sure the process is done well, but you have these new ideas and these new concepts that are able to flourish because they're given the creative freedom to make those come to fruition with the guiding hand of these older, like the SpongeBob guys Mm -hmm. and whatnot, you know? 
I want to talk a little bit before, unless you wanted to introduce some more characters uh, into the equation. I wanted to talk a little bit about inspirations and the world before we get into writing process. Mm-hmm. So inspirations. We already talked about a few. Ward is quoted to say, I grew up watching Ren and Stimpy and Beavis and Butthead and playing Dungeons and Dragons. So all of those elements really feel natural to me. But also, he said that The Simpsons made the biggest impression on him. He said, I like The Simpsons a lot. It made the biggest impression on me. The earlier seasons of The Simpsons, I had a big crush on Lisa Simpson. I think that's another thing. Such a fucking, this is the, he is such a pure, like, this level of just unabashed nerd, I feel for. Yeah, yeah, Because you yeah. are, like, you are not allowed as an adult man in 2019 to say, like, Patty Mayonnaise was was bae. Yeah. Because <laughs> now, like, you know, we've awoken our third eye and seen through the Matrix, and now we know that it's just boring white dudes projecting what they think a boring white girl that would <laughs> like them unconditionally is. The uh, the manic normie dream girl mm-hmm. or whatever manic normie dream girl Patty mayonnaise man yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. tell me I'm wrong like Pendleton Ward when he was making this started from this base of like unabashed cartoon nerd and then brought in all these other people to help like refine and expand on on which yeah. would have been just a very basic premise yeah he said I had a bit I had a big crush on Lisa Simpson I think that's another thing that's uh, important to me about adventure time is trying to make cartoon girls that that other bizarre especially awkward children can have crushes on <laughs> he also really enjoyed the surreal films of David Lynch and that's another source of inspiration there's even a nod to the velvet room in the Incaridian that was ended up being cut but it, it's always there there's like a, a weird dark underbelly to every seemingly normal the, uh stylized thing uh adventure time will dwell on uncomfortable things yes um the even the creatures that he he mentions japanese horror as another influence mm. and the creatures in adventure time the more threatening ones aren't like spooky booga booga they're like in your face and they are coming for you in yeah. the same way like you know like the ring girl out of the well you know it's it's a very specific kind of malintent that uh, the that they work on also another japanese influence my neighbor totoro was a big one in terms of creating the beautiful moments that he puts in the show and then and i love this influence dr cats and home movies uh and that i, I think really shows and I love the this element of the show is that um all the characters although all this fantastical stuff's happening around them and it's so crazy everybody sounds like they're having a normal conversation mm-hmm. and it feels very grounded and I think that's one of the things that makes the show so unique and and gives it so much heart is you always feel like you're hanging out with these people and they're just having normal talk Ward said conversational dialogue that feels natural and is neither over the top nor cartoony and shrill was exactly like what he was going for which uh yeah and then also the fantasy art influence of Frank Franzetta think like Conan covers you mm-hmm. know that kind of thing those really over the top or like he man you know those really over the top guys standing over the rock with the, and you see that in the show but in a cartoony way and of course, I already mentioned it, but Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, they were even playing Dungeons and Dragons before it got way too stressful to do that. I think they ended up getting back to it later. And they even talked about how their writing process sometimes would be akin to Dungeons and Dragons, where it would be. Oh, so many episodes are definitely based on one writer's idea for a cool NPC. Yes, right. <laughs> and 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 it would be a lot of like coming up with ideas in the sense of like your characters are in this room. What do you want to do? You know, and and coming up with it from there. The world, we already talked about it being set in the post-apocalyptic world. Ward said it takes place after the bombs have fallen and magic has come back to the world. 
And it was simply a magical place up until the episode Business Time, which was season one, episode eight. So good. Brian Posehn does a great job Mm -hmm. as the businessman. In which an iceberg full of reanimated businessmen floats to the surface of the lake. That ends up leading Ward to this aesthetic, uh, Candyland on the surface and dark underneath. That's what he was always going for, right? This this really bright, beautiful place with like a dark underbelly that they have to deal with. And they just took it and ran with it. And essentially, they would just use it as a fill-in-the-blank for different plot points and moments. There's also an entire mythology and backstory that involves the origin of the main antagonist, the Lich. All the main characters' oh, backstories. Oh, the Lich is so fucking crazy. Right? It's, yeah. It's Ron Perlman, right, is the voice? Yes. Of it's so much menace. In the original design, in the original pitch document, it's actually incredible how they lay it out. Because, you know, it's it's Pendleton Ward. It's like very, like energetic kind of uh, style of being like, Jake, he's a cool guy. He's a dog. He's 28 and he loves to party. <laughs> and then there's the Ice King. He's a real dingus. <laughs> and then just like one slide just goes, the Lich. The Lich is darkness incarnate. He will not announce his plans. He will just raise an army of dead and crush whoever comes his way. The Lich is asleep right now, but if he's ever awoken, it will lay the land to rest. And that's super D&D, right? Yeah. That reminds me, actually, of the Doom episode when they were coming up with the, the ideas for Doom really came from their D&D game in this, like, demon <laughs> Yeah, war. yeah. Ward said about the about the whole lore and everything, we've sort of got it plotted down on the whiteboard in the writer's room, the history of the world. But we create it as we go, I think. The general skeleton is there for when events occurred for all the characters, but things change all the time because the show's constantly evolving, and there are so many different voices adding to the show. There's eight boarders who write and draw out all the dialogue, and they take it to all kinds of different places uh, that I don't even expect after we give them the outline to work off of. We being the three writers who write the outlines, myself, Kent Osborne, and Pat McHale. And that is going to lead us into the writing process of the show. Ward said this about the process. Here's another chunky quote for you chunky boys. I like them big. <laughs> I like them chunky. <laughs> Remember that Will I Am song from Madagascar 2? Sure. Yeah. I Moto so. Moto was oh, the name of the I like them big. <laughs> I like them chunky. In the writer's room, uh, this is Ward speaking, by the way. I'm becoming Ward. Oh, 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 oh. Hi. Hi. <laughs> In the writer's room, usually we start off by just shooting the breeze and telling weird stories about what happened to us during the week. A lot of time, if we're really stuck, we'll start saying everything that comes to our mind, which is usually the worst stuff, and then something else will think, uh, someone else will think that's terrible. But it'll give him a better idea, and the ball just starts rolling like that. And at the beginning, when we didn't have any time to play Dungeons & Dragons anymore because we were all working so hard on the show, we realized, well, we can still play, sort of, just by writing the stories we'd want to be playing D&D with. <laughs> I remember Pat McHale would write out a cool, dandy storyline, and it was fun because we were sort of living it out as we wrote it, which is a lot like playing D&D. So we did that a lot of that. We did a lot of that, Jake. He's, he's way more friendly than that. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God, what happened? Where am I? Uh, you did a pretty good impression. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so, yes, also they would sometimes play writing games like Exquisite Corpse, in which one writer would write a story on a piece of paper, like half of it, and then the other one would... Uh, he would slide it over to the next guy, and they would finish it. Uh, these story pitches then got converted into a two- to three-page outline with the major beats. Unlike most shows for Cartoon Network, instead of script pitches for, to network executives, they allowed the staff to have a more organic approach, like we were talking about before, to building the story using storyboards and animatics to communicate since they were working with primarily visual people. 
So that at least they got that and knew that they had to approach this from a different angle. Well, they were allowed to because as soon as it aired, the original short was such a hit online that two and a half million people tuned in for the first for the premiere episode. It was colorful. It was bright. It was new. And it was at, during a time where there wasn't a lot of competition yeah. for a bold new animated series that people were hungry. People like cartoons. Yes. And Animation is one of the best art forms in expressing the human condition. And especially grand new concepts in cartoons, something mm. we've never seen before. Cartoons are so limitless in their ab- ability visually, and we, we, all, we are just constantly yearning for like a new thing in front of our eyes, unlike what we were talking about with Hanna-Barbera at the very beginning of the episode and got where they got, right? P- People really are drawn, especially nowadays, to something that just pops and is just wholly different from everything else. It also didn't hurt that, again, the timing was right, and this series clicked, like, clicked almost per in like yeah. a Tetris like space everything that about the it. uh you know the Comic Con loot crate yeah uh, uh thinkgeek.com boom where people finally like looked around and was like hey do you also spend all your time on the internet talking about Doctor Who references yeah and like that cultural explosion. Uh, Adventure Time entered like the canon. It entered the list of things that you would cosplay as. It, you know, the stuff that you could buy T-shirts of at Hot Topic. You know, Adventure Time was a massive hit. So the fucking suits, who never even understood why it worked in the first place, were not eager to stir the pot. So the storyboarders would work in pairs. And they would uh, rough it out. Then the creative directors would review it, give notes, and then they were given another week to clean it up. Essentially, this took about a month. Now we move on to the animation. Ward said, I can tell you it's about nine months per episode, but in animation, everything's sort of overlapping all at the same time. They would start with the voice actors recording their parts for the episodes that accompanied an animatic. Then Ideally, our- all in one room so they could play off each other. And Which is a key. This is a key. Yeah, point. I, I I was going to talk about it in a bit, but great time to bring it up. They would actually do it like a like a radio play. Mm-hmm. They would sit in the same room, and again, getting back to a, what I one of my favorite things about the show to make it feel like people are having a real conversation with each other, which is so unlike cartoons in this kind of fantastical style that it just brings so much life to it and makes it feel so much more. Gives, gives it more emotional depth at the end of the day because you feel like these people are real even though this world is so crazy. And uh, it really works for them. So then the artists would create prop, character, and background designs, mostly in Photoshop. The design and coloring took place in Burbank, California. And then guess what, y'all? They moved it over to South Korea like every other American animated show. Who did is. this one? Rough Draft? I don't. Rough Draft Korea and Seiram Animation. Two, two different ones. Uh, the uh, Rough Draft Korea is the sister studio to the American production house Rough Draft Studios, Inc., and has done animation for The Simpsons, SpongeBob, and like every other Cartoon Network show during the boom. And the latter, uh, Serum Animation, was founded in 87 and did everything from like Beetlejuice to Hey Arnold to Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. The animation was hand-drawn on paper, then digitally co- composited and painted uh, digitally. And during the Korean leg of the animation, that's when the U.S. side is working on retakes, doing musical scoring and sound design until they got the Korean animation back. And then the production crew would review the animation, send it back to Korea for notes. Same type of thing with, like, The Simpsons and all those other stuff. Um, There were some exceptions to this process, especially in the later seasons. They every now and again brought in a guest animator or director, such as David O'Reilly, who did a 3D animated episode, and the Japanese animator... 
uh, Masaki Yuasa, who did Devilman Crybaby, Hell among yeah. other things. Hell yeah, he did. Who did an episode entirely through his own animation house. Uh, that episode goes on about the food chain and just literally just in a fun, colorful musical experience tells children that, like, sorry, you're worm food. Uh, <laughs> by the it's actually kind of incredible how this show handles death. Yeah, because death is a character and it's not an evil character. Uh, no, people die. People acknowledge that death is a serious thing that mm-hmm. uh, even in this world where people are frozen or magically like held on. Uh, you know, that there's dignity in death, that there's like, it, it's very, it, for again, in a show whose primary purpose is to sell novelty trucker hats and add space for fucking Ori to smiley French fries. <laughs> It's insane how much depth they got away with. Oh, for sure. Uh, I, I have some characters written down. We've kind of already talked about them, but I will sh- uh, give some shout-outs. Princess Bubblegum, we haven't really talked about that much. Finn's love on interest, but uh, it's unrequited, and it's speculated because of her possibly being a lesbian, right? Like, there's the whole... I mean, it's, again, it's, so under Pendleton's, like, original idea, she's just an aloof princess that he has to woo. It's just cool and, like, yeah, not your traditional princess. The thing is that she gives off, like, Princess Peach-style vibes, but she's not that kind of princess. They start with Princess Peach-style vibes. Then they do that thing where, like, no, she's a scientist, and that's, like, funny. But then they start going into, like, the darkness that is science. (laughs) Yeah, because it starts out as like, oh, I made these candy people. And then they actually get into the fucking philosophical concepts of what does it mean that you made these people? Uh, You know, uh, the lemon grab, uh, uh, Justin Roiland's like unacceptable character. They immediately go twisted dark with the idea that they made this warped creature. It's very amazing. Again, that like Pendleton Ward had this radical base this like fun nerd base and then they just like jammed all these branches of like actual thought and complexity on top of it it sounds it sounds too like he was the type of dude you don't see a lot as the head of shows like these where people would come to him with maybe a crazy concept or a different angle on things and be like yeah let's run with it let's Mm -hmm. do it 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 really seems like a lot of yes anding going on inside this place marceline the vampire queen i love voiced by olivia rose olsen who got her start as the little girl with a golden voice in love, actually. Oh, yeah, she sings All I Want for Christmas is You. Yep, I really love this character. She charms the shit out of me every single time she's on the screen. There's just something. She's so human, like emo, and just, I don't know. There's just a vibe about her. That ex- uh, The best part is she starts out as, like, a very 2000s rocker chick, and then she evolves into just a fashion icon. Yeah. My favorite, though, is the Ice King, by far, oh, per- yeah. personally. To to have a villain on its face, he's the evil Ice King that you would see in any show like this, any kid's cartoon show, and to have the Ice King just be this vulnerable, sad figure that is constantly has his heart on his sleeve as as, as bad as he's always making things for people. I have Man, a quote by him. Tom Kenny about how he came to the character of the Ice King. My approach to the Ice King is that he's a very real psychopath. <laughs> He's the kind of guy that they would do a 48 hours investigation show about sure, yeah. where none of his neighbors know that much about him, but they realize that there's a weird smell coming from his house and they dig up a bunch of stuff in his basement. That's definitely the Ice King. And when they finally capture the killer, he can't realize why everybody's mad at exactly. him. Exactly. <laughs> he you you believe that he feels true in his heart that his motives are true and good. You know, <laughs> like you see that you see him and you're like I get it. You totally 
think that this is the way things should be, but you're a crazy ass evil ice wizard. And then in the later seasons, when it everything basically everyone is secretly a space god, an ancient space. <laughs> god. Literally everyone is actually an ancient space god, and it's a mind fuck. But like it's a it's the the it's still it's a it kind of works. It kind of works that there is madness in magic, and the sure. Ice King represents that concept a hundred percent. Uh, you also had a ton of celebrity voices. Oh, other characters worth mentioning. Uh, Bimo, uh, Lumpy Space Princess, uh, voiced by Ward himself. The Flame Princess, Lady uh, Lady Raincorn, which I love. Uh, anybody else you wanted to give light to? I'm also going to name some celeb voices. Because, of course, everybody wants to do a voice on Adventure Time. You've got Neil Patrick Harris, who's Prince Gumball. Mark Hamill, who does the voice of the Fear Feaster. George Takai, who does the voice of Ricardio, Amazing. the hard guy. Yeah, he's like fantastic. At the ex- right before George Takai became like oversaturated on the internet, yeah. picking him as Ricardio was like such a good move. Fantastic. Henry Rollins plays Bob Raincorn. Maria Bamford as the Wildberry Princess. Ron- they bring in uh, Maria Bamford a lot. She plays a lot of roles. Ron Perlman as the Lich. Weird Al as Banana Man. And you have Justin Roiland, creator of Rick and Morty, as the Earl of Lemongrass. There's, There's actually so many others. On the way over name. here, I was listening to a uh, old podcast that Justin Roiland used to do with his friends. And uh, the pilot for Rick and Morty had just gotten like approved to mm. produce. And he had Pendleton Ward That's sitting awesome. in on his podcast, and Pendleton Ward had Adventure Time. Like, I guess it must have been like two seasons in, where it was like the coolest, hippest new shit. Uh-huh. And hearing Justin Roiland, who has since exploded in popularity, oh, and his yeah. friends with Kanye West treating Pendleton like this, like such like an icon, is like a very weird dynamic. Very if you fi- funny. It's the Grandma's Virginity podcast. If you if you huh. find it, it's a fascinating slice of time. I one of my favorite guest voices on the show was Lou Ferrigno as the aging hero Billy. He had like this weird like sadness and like bravery in his in Lou Ferrigno that they managed to pull off. Hmm. Mm. All right, I want to talk a making little bit pancakes, making bacon pancakes. You put a bacon and you put it in a pancake. I want to talk a little bit about the music speaking of uh bacon singing a pancakes. song. The background music was composed by Casey James uh Basicus, Basicus and Tim Kiefer. Uh, Casey James Basicus at one point did visual effects for Industrial Light and Magic on like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The Caribou. The Caribou movies. They also, uh, Casey James and Tim, they got together and created a conceptual pop duo called Casey James and the Stay Puffed Kid. Ward really liked that a lot of the music, as I said before, had background stuff. This is because it's the most hipster thing I've ever read in my life. <clears throat> uh, he likes that it had hiss and grit because Basikas, quote, lives in a pirate ship. He's built inside of an apartment and you can hear floorboards squeak and lots of other weird sounds. Uh, I bet that he was invited to a bunch of McSweeney's launch oh parties. Oh, my God. That's that's the was. era we were in. Oh, that's, yeah. I miss that George W. Bush was our worst president. We didn't know how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was some war crimes, but damn it, we were happy. So uh, a couple other things. There was a comic book actually done by Ryan North, who did the webcomic Dinosaur Comics, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. He's he did the comic. Own. And it did very well, and it ran for uh, three years and was really successful, leading to spinoffs like Marceline and the Scream Queens and other such spinoffs. There were also a bunch of, I'm pretty sure all 
not great video games. Hey, Ice King, why'd you take our garbage? Had more involvement from the uh, TV show crew. Why'd you steal our garbage? But yes, it was on 3D or it was on DS. And apparently that one's maybe a little bit better. If you do the Konami code in that one, you can get a a secret song uh, that Pendleton wrote. You you can find it on YouTube. There's also uh, for DS and consoles. I do like the name. Explore the dungeon because I don't know. And uh, The Secret of the Nameless Kingdom, and then there was Finn and Jake Investigations, and Pirates of the Encaridian. Um Yeah, I never heard too none, much about the yeah, video Yeah, none games. of them ever moved the needle. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was kind of what it was. Um, I, it was actually the, the growth of the, of the show's uh, merchandising empire that finally kind of overwhelmed Pendleton, who, you know... W- wasn't in it to you know approve artwork for video game box covers yeah uh that he kind of just like got burnt out and ended up leaving the show in 2014 yes he did he would still stick around and work on stories stories and stuff but he wasn't like the head head guy anymore yeah he he passed that off to adam muto and do you feel like the show maintained its consistency throughout though i think it evolved into uh the in a kind of amazing way it kind of the fandom, because the fandom on you know, this was again a yeah. very specific time and place. Uh, the growth of Tumblr happened at this time, and so uh, shipping and fan art and gifts and memes and all this stuff was happening. Big. And the show was like receiving, you know, they were building off each other. Ideas from the fandom would make their way into the show, and uh, the lore kept kind of like folding in on itself. And I think. I know a lot of people were disappointed in the finale, but there's still a lot of really good contemplative episodes in those later seasons. And I kind of, I think if they were going to like end a series, this sprawling and wiggly and hard to pin down, I think they did a good a job as they could. Hell yeah. Anything else you want to say before I wrap things up? You know, it's spun off into a million different things. Basically, every major hit cartoon afterwards was influenced by it or was started by someone who worked on it. I saw a cool quote. It was in, like, the Wikipedia uh, that an article, uh, this person for, like, Slate, I think, was writing. was like, for once, you started walking around, like, this indie comic convention, and instead of these, like, brooding, kind of dark masculine TV mm-hmm. shows or, or comic books rather or comics that people were showing off. You finally had these like bright, colorful, fantastical, just more vibrant, more, I don't know, just, just more uh, inviting stuff uh, coming from people. And it did definitely change the entire landscape of cartoons and comics. Uh, it had solid comedy chops. The characters grew and developed, which is what an audience does. Yeah. The, you know, and they uh, had to end it when they had to because otherwise, like, the kids would have grown out of it before they had finished kind of their thesis statement. This is an article, uh, The Unique Appeal of Adventure Time by Danny DiPlacido, uh, that has a really good quote. There's one particular aspect of Adventure Time which I find unique. Something that I think really speaks to the current generation. We live in a strange time in which we are constantly told that humanity is on the brink of annihilation. Political, financial instability, the threat of nuclear war, and environmental collapse is all part of our narrative, a poisonous inheritance that no child asked for. But Adventure Time tells a tale of a world utterly annihilated through human stupidity and then regrows into a magical place from the ashes, weirder and more wonderful than ever before, a hodgepodge of oddities fused together out of toxic waste and chewing gum. There hasn't been such a positive depiction of environmental collapse since Wally. <laughs> ha! I love it. That was a great, great place to end it. 
Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our episode on Adventure Time. If you would like to follow us, support us further, check out our Patreon bonus material every single week for just $5 a month. And it's greatly, greatly helpful for us to keep the show going. Also, I mean, literally, it's yeah. without it, this show couldn't, couldn't I pay, happen. I pay my like bills because of your patronage. So thank you so much, because I don't know what else I would do. You know what I mean? I'd probably just be like a guy in the street, just be like, I'll give, hey. I'll give a jerk jerk. $5 a month. Holden, come on. You could still be a sexy diamond thief. I guess that's true. Maybe I could, but am I too smart for the world? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so I much, I found everyone. you again, Silent Panther. <laughs> <laughs> you want a jerk jerk? Ooh, you win again. Oh, you got me again. Oh, yeah, that's the stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. You can follow me further uh, also on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Hojo. Follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. And uh, as always, keep on whizzing. Never stop, never stop bruising anymore. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.